I know it's more romantic to feel like growth comes through crisis and uh, and it's, uh, you know, poetry or literature that's produced in, in great trauma usually seems to be much more effective. But I believe that we're, we're there's a like, and there's the deep part of us that's very broken, and then there's an even deeper part of us that's very whole. So if you go to the deeper, the deeper part of itself that's very broken, you can write from a place of brokenness, and that could be like some kind of cathartic healing, and and spirituality can heal that place. But I think if you go really deep, really really deep, you get to the place of wholeness. The place of wholeness is a place of that you're already full and you're already redeemed, and really to live life from the inside out, from that space, from the inner place of wholeness, not from the place of brokenness. What's the best way or what's what are some ways in which you practice and, and help others to get to that space? Because it takes some uh, practice to take that intellectual knowledge and uh, emotionally embody it. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually true. I think for the first the first thing is actually to believe that it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Most people don't believe that they're, they're they, they believe that what the, the trauma that they're holding or the brokenness that they experience in life is actually that's part of their identity. Yeah. And um, they identify with that and so much so that their their way of being in this world comes through that prison. And and really, you know, what Chassidut and, and, and the Kabbalah and all the spiritual Jewish practices are teaching is that there's a part of ourselves that's really on the Shama, that's a soul, that's whole, that's complete, that's, that's always present and it's always connected to Hashem, always connected to God. As a part of God, and we have to start cultivating that awareness. And the more the more we think of ourselves, we identify ourselves as a place instead of identifying yourself as a, a person that's broken and is trying to be healed, or a person that's struggling and is trying to overcome the struggle. Really, to identify yourself with a person that's actually beyond the struggle. And if you have struggles, you'll you'll work it out. But it's from the place of the beyond the struggle. In our lives, we often have an approach of looking for something outside of ourselves for growth, whether it be a job, a relationship, etc. But truly, when we grow from within, everything naturally flows outward. This is changing from inside out. And by going inward, we see beyond the broken part of ourselves is, as my guest today says, an even deeper part of us that's very whole. The place of wholeness is where you're full and redeemed. It is from this inner state of wholeness we can live out of and create out of that then flows outward into how we express ourselves. My guest today is Rav Dov Bear Pinson. He's been hailed as one of the most important teachers of this generation and is widely recognized as one of the world's foremost authorities on authentic Kabbalah and Jewish philosophy and wisdom. Through his books, lectures, and seminars, he has touched and inspired the lives of thousands the world over and continues to serve as mentor to many thousands of students across the globe. Rav Pinson has offered over 35 books, many of which has, have been translated into multiple languages such as Hebrew, German, Spanish, Russian, and Portuguese. Rav Pinson is the Rosh Yeshiva, meaning the head teacher of the Ayun Yeshiva Kolel and Dean of the Ayun Center in Brownstone, Brooklyn, New York. As you'll hear him say at towards the end, Iyun means to delve deeper. And that's exactly what we did today. If you haven't yet, please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to SolomonEzra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Berezin to learn more. Also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Solomon Berezin to get updates on new videos and podcasts. <clears throat>
Now onto the show with Dove Bear Pinson. Rabbi Dove Bear Pinson, it's a it's a privilege and honor to have you on the show today. I've been starting to read your book, The Power of Choice, uh, and then happened to realize you have over 30 books. And so I look forward to unpacking a lot of them and diving into this conversation. But, but first, I, I'd really love to hear a little bit about your background, what led, what led to writing these several books on various topics, uh, you know, merging Kabbalah and Torah wisdom with kind of modern day approach to healing, to health, and uh, so much more. Um, I have to answer that question. <laughs> you don't have to. Question. I, you, I, you know, um, how should I say this? Um, my objective in life is to live. Okay. That's, a, that's the biggest thing in life, is to be alive. And part of being alive, for me, was to not only to understand what's going on in the world and to spiritually understand like the inner workings of the world through study of Kabbalah and to understand, but also to share it. And for some reason, Hashem gave me certain capabilities that I'm able to share in a certain way that uh, becomes accessible to people. And I feel like it's um, that's what I have to do in this world. So it's not like um, it's a necessity. How did you... When you were growing up, and uh, did you grow up in a Chabad family, in a religious family? Yeah, I, brought, I was brought up in a Chabad family. Actually, my uh, ancestors are probably one of the oldest Chabad families in the world. Wow. So, uh, like, all my great-grandfathers were all Chabad, great-grandfathers. Amazing. Uh, that's very unusual. And there were very famous uh, mashpi and very famous spiritual teachers and guides. So I come from a home that's very steeped in this uh, Chabad spiritual practice. So was it from an early age that it was kind of that these more Kabbalistic um, uh, writings were introduced to you and you almost felt like a instant kind of attraction to it that? Well, I mean, like most, uh, most yeshiva students, you know, any classic yeshiva, you know, 80% of the time is spent studying Talmud and Allah, Jewish law and, and the Talmud. And that's what I did as well. Um, besides that, there was always a time period during the day that people learned Chassidut, um, the teachings, the mystical writings of Chabad Rebbes, which obviously I did as well. But um, I didn't want to get involved like in more of these spiritual ideas until I got smicha, until I became a rabbi, until I went through a certain amount of well, Jewish law and, uh, and Talmud. And that happened at a later time in life. So you were familiar with the <laughs> concepts, but what do you mean by you didn't want to really want to get into? It's like a regular tradition, and you know, there's you can learn. I don't know how familiar you are, but let's say you can learn chassidus. Let's say right, and a lot of things that you're learning is like quoting things from the Arizal or from the yeah. Zohar, but you're not actually reading the Arizal, you're not actually reading the Zohar. Um, then there's a way to learn it, to unpack it, like to go to the source and see how it unfolds, to go really back to the original source, the way it's yeah. spoken up. And so that, that was something that was interesting to me. Yeah. To, to segue, the, the reason for my, my follow-up questions is yeah. my what kind of helped me in, in being able to cultivate kind of not just a better, like overall whole health, but just interest and capability to understand a lot of what you write or even what's 
talked about in, in uh, Hasidic discourses was through kind of meditation. So I, I didn't grow up uh, in an Orthodox family. So it was more through once I got into uh, meditation uh, that I was able to in open awareness of, you know, how I've been living and then deciding how I want to live. And that opened, you know, pain perspective to then see, oh, wow, you know, there's so much beauty to Jewish tradition and mysticism. And when I've, when I've read and listened to this different works, it's, uh, you know, sometimes even uh, sometimes even like uh, sentences I've written myself, which I thought was really cool. Right. And so I'm curious to, for myself and anybody listening, how did you cultivate that kind of uh, perspective that then helped you deliver, translate uh, messages to help, you know, all the different individuals you're helping today through, uh, through the Ayun um, Center and through your uh, writings and speeches? Um, like I said in the beginning, really, the truth is that there's 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 one way to do it as that it's forced, like sort of you have like an agenda that you want to achieve, and you say, okay, I want to become, you know, I want to become a teacher and I want to help people, and therefore I'm going to study this and that in order to become that, and that's that's contrived and that's forced. I don't I don't think that's real. I think like everything in life, it has to come from within. You have to feel like somehow that. Um, that that you need to do this. This is something that's 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 overflowing from within you, the the strong desire to share to to experience. But it, it comes from when you really satiate yourself spiritually, and you feel like some level of presence and some level of of, of awareness, and you feel that you that at this point it's 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 like over it's it's boiling over into a way that that the only way that you can actually continue movement and growth in life is actually if you share what you know so i think it's more about really spiritually growing from within yourself and really trying to live by example and from that everything naturally flows outward as opposed to choosing a certain path and saying this is what i want to do in this world I think that's incorrect. I think like like all forms of art, for example, you know, you can't say I would like to become a Picasso. Either you are or you're not. So when you are, it just the art just flows out of you. Yeah. Same yeah. With writing or poetry, and I think also the same things also with teaching. It has to come from a place where it just it just is just who you are. It's it's really cool because with some uh, teachers or some individuals some kind of like crisis leads to uh, their transformation. Um, but in, the, in a way you kind of grew up with it and, and learned how to also kind of cultivate it and almost like grow from a state of joy. I would uh, definitely say that's true. I don't, um, I'm anti-crisis. I, 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 I think growth, I know it's more romantic to feel like growth comes through crisis and, uh, and it's, uh, you know, Poetry or literature that's produced in, in great trauma usually seems to be much more effective. But I believe that we're we there's a like, in the, there's the deep part of us that's very broken, and then there's an even deeper part of us that's very whole. So if you go to the deeper the deeper part of itself that's very broken, you can write from a place of brokenness, and that could be like some type of cathartic healing, and and spirituality can heal that place. But I think if you go really deep, really really deep, you get to the place of wholeness. The place of wholeness is a place of that you're already full and you're already redeemed and really to live life from the inside out, from that space, from the inner place of wholeness, not from the place of brokenness. 
what's the best way or what's what are some ways in which you practice and, and help others to get to that space because it takes some uh, practice to take that intellectual knowledge and uh, emotionally embody it yeah that's uh, that's actually true i think for the first the first thing is actually to believe that it's a possibility most people don't believe that they're they're they, they believe that what the, the trauma that they're holding or the brokenness that they experience in life is actually that's part of their identity yeah. and um they identify with that and so much so that their their way of being in this world comes through that prism and and really you know what chassidut and, and and the kabbalah and all the spiritual jewish practices are teaching is that there's a part of ourselves that's really a neshama that's a soul that's whole that's complete that's that's always present and it's always connected to hashem always connected to god as a part of god and we have to start cultivating that awareness and the more the more we think of ourselves we identify ourselves as a place instead of identifying yourself as a, a person that's broken and is trying to be healed or a person that's struggling and is trying to overcome the struggle really to identify yourself with a person that's actually beyond the struggle and if you have struggles you'll you'll work it out but it's from the place of the beyond the struggle I like to envision myself kind of in a in a box and then either through meditation or well kind of combination of meditation and visualization yeah emotionally embodying being out of that box it's very interesting emotionally embodying yourself out of the box to do what I'm not well, if it's a the box is a, a analogy for um a problem or a situation like somebody you know somebody has to make a decision and they can't seem to uh, can't seem to get out of it. Like Einstein says, no problem can be solved by the same consciousness that created it. That's correct. So it's it's almost like why I asked, how do what's what's some kind of process you found helpful with emotionally embodying what somebody may intellectually understand is because we can't like think from if we think from the same level of mind that got yeah. us the problem, we'll be we'll be stuck. So there's listen in Jew in Jewish you know mystical practices there's there's, there's tons of different ways how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I actually wrote a book one on visualization one on sound and vibration and one actually on breathing and, and quieting the mind. Those meditation mind. series. Yeah. yeah. So these are all actually this literally practices Jewish spiritual practices mm -hmm. that that the mystics and the Kabbalists and the spiritual teachers have used throughout the ages. But these are tools. These are just tools to let you to 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 recognize that recognize the, the the place where you come from where where who you really are what's your true identity yeah uh, some people need stronger tools and less tools you know some people uh, the singing a song you know singing a nigan sing, singing a hasidic nigan could, could do that some people sitting and speaking to each other by fabring could do that but you have to, every person has to you know from sure every person has to find that own pathway that they feel that can unlock their constricted consciousness to allow them to be free and to allow them to live authentically and real. When it comes to many of our um, many Jewish practices or traditions, let's say mitzvahs and even Shabbat and eating kosher, yeah. uh, one thing I've I've been let's say working through is that with all this knowledge you know, that, that you even share uh, about being creator of one's life, not a victim to it, then what is, and I flipped through your new book on Shabbat, so I, 
I didn't want to spend all my money at the bookstore in, uh, in Crown Heights, so I chose Power of Choice, but uh, I'll definitely be getting to it. But given that, what is, what is unique about the Shabbat? Because since I can control my thoughts and practice, uh, you know, harnessing elevated states of being, can't, couldn't a person maintain that kind of inner state of Shabbat regardless of the external laws? Yeah, this is this is like a, a a much bigger conversation in terms of like yeah. like in terms of what the mitzvot are. What's the intention of the mitzvot? Like, how does it work? Um, but I would say in a very simple simple definition, it would be like this: that yes, you can create spaces within your time, within let's say within time, within space, within your own consciousness, where there's a respite, where there's a certain oasis that you go inward, and that's the place of your wholeness, and you're connected to that. It could be in a day. It can be throughout time, but the mystics will say that that's actually Shabbos. That's actually what you're doing is you're activating, wow. you're actually accessing Shabbos within the week. You know, in Hebrew, there is no day Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We don't call it by the name. We don't call it because of the sun or the moon or Mercury. We actually call it Yom Rishon the Shabbat. Today is day one to Shabbos. Tomorrow, Yom Sheni the Shabbat, day two to Shabbos, which means that Shabbos is really the essence of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, there's the there's the flow of time or the duality of time. Where time is progressive, and then there's the nakuda, the point of time, which is the stillness within all of time. Like if you did that imagery, which you said, a ruts of a shuv back and forth. So that's like the running of movement and, and returning, or inhale and exhale. And then there's the retention period, which is between the inhale and the exhale. That's the moment of Shabbos. Wow. So there's the moment of Shabbos within all of time. There's a moment of Shabbos within all of of, of space. There's a moment of Shabbos in all of consciousness. And Shabbos is sort of the headquarters of that idea. Shabbos is like the nerve center that flows from that point and it, it, it irrigates all the, all the aspects of time, all the aspects of space and all the aspects of consciousness. And the, the, the practice is, the mitzvot is, okay, that's, that's, another, that's another detail about the mitzvot of Shabbos is that there has to be in any type of practice, one way that we, besides the fact that it's a mitzvah which connects us. So the idea of the mitzvah is that we feel we're being connected that, we're being connected with the creator and the giver of the mitzvah is also the idea of the absoluteness of something that when we arbitrarily decide that Tuesday afternoon we're going to take you know we're going to find an akut of Shabbos yeah and then the phone rings and it's an emergency and then we lift we lift it up lift up the phone or something very important or less important but when we know that there's certain absoluteness to this this is the way it's going to be for the next 24 hours I'm totally disconnected from the physical world or the, the world of technology and I'm entering into spiritual space, that's sort of the context that allows for true growth and for true accessing that point. But ultimately, yes, you're correct that we have to live with every moment, with the Shabbos within that moment, at least to when we get stressed out or we get to a point where we're too caught up in, in the mundane aspects of reality is really to go inwards a little bit. I, Shabbos. I personally really appreciate that um, answer because I have I have felt like that sometimes when I would get too rigid in I've got to you know do it this way or do it that way you know for for Shabbat or observing the certain um, rules that it's not an actual you know internal state of Shabbat whereas you know if I go with the flow a lot more it it aligns with what you were just sharing. 
And then when, when you said, uh, you know, I, I listened to, there was a very interesting conversation you had on consciousness with um, Mark Gober and another individual leading it that you, you brought up that when you do those um, kind of rules or when you choose a certain time to do something or, you know, certain, certain like uh, observing the Shabbat or celebrating the Shabbat, you are acknowledging that there is a, a higher power. But then how would, Correct. if in the, in the concept of transformation, if somebody's kind of attached to those rules and it becomes uh, rote, what would be a... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's obviously always the trouble with, with a rule, that uh, it's not only becomes rote, but sometimes you start worshiping the rule yeah. as opposed to realizing that that uh, the objective of the rule is, is the mitzvah, is to connect it to the mitzvah, mitzvah to the yeah. commander of the mitzvah. There was a once, the Hasidic Rebbe, the Kotzke Rebbe once said that uh, it's possible that a mitzvah can become a vaydazara. It's possible that a mitzvah can become idol worship because you're, you're so connected to the detail, you forget that actually this detail is just a, is a, is, is a passageway that's allowing you to enter into a place of connection to transcendence. You start yeah. connecting to the rule. So we have to be a we have to be conscious about that. That's uh, it's fascinating. It was a recent uh, lesson I had a teacher um, help you know teach me in that it's about the connection, not the observance. Does then would would it be? I don't know. I would think also that the more that someone, at least myself. Um, focuses on how it's a connection. You know, like when I stepped away from playing basketball, I actually returned even better. Hmm. It's uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, that's why the Zohar actually says that a Balshuva, someone that stepped away and returned, does things does things with greater passion and greater longing and greater excitement because the rut, the road was stopped. I'm not saying this is, I'm not suggesting that a person is echt The person does this, but it happens to me that it's true that, 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 that by sometimes by getting so involved that you just get, you get, you lose focus of what's the intention really here. And sometimes mm -hmm. by stopping, you can come back to it. I'm not saying you should stop, but, but we should yeah. definitely make sure that we're not uh, becoming just, you know, robotic yeah. behavior. I hear it. I, 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 just to make sure I got it and hopefully everyone listening doesn't mean like that you would purposely, you know, like not right. celebrate Shabbat or whatever, right. but if you realize, I mean, you really have to have a connection with oneself, one's yourself to be able to say, you know, I'm going to observe it or I'm going to celebrate it this way and kind of go with the, go with the flow. Well, we have or to not we get have too to, tight in the details. We have to enter everything with, with intention. If you enter into Shabbat without intention, it's just going to be another, another thing you do. Yeah. But if you have to do it with intention, that's why, you know, the, there, was, um, there was a wise scholar that came over from the, after the war, came to America and said that in America, it's not that they, they, they forgot how to keep Shabbos. That's one thing, but the real thing what they forgot how to keep is how do they keep Arab Shabbos? How do they keep preparing for Shabbos, Friday afternoon? Because that, that is something that's an art. Because in order to transition into a certain space, you actually have to do practices of transition. 
So let's say, you know, if it's going to the mikvah or reading Shnaimik or reading the Torah or lighting Shabbos candles just, just, or taking a shower, or, there's many things that we were supposed to do. You can't just pop in for Friday afternoon and say, oh, here's Shabbos, I'm, I'm ready to do it. It's not going to work. You need to, you need to really prepare for it. And, and, and Misha Torah by Erev Shabbos, whoever, you know, invests in the Erev Shabbos and the preparing for Shabbos is Yechum Shabbos. Then is someone that really can reap the benefits of Shabbos. So it's really about entering everything with intention. So the, also not just the destination, but the journey to not seeing it as something Absolutely. separate from yourself. Correct. Correct. And, and, and the, the, the journey is the destination itself. Wow. Thank you. I think that brought a lot of uh, light into my own understanding of it and how I shall continue to celebrate it. Uh, and hopefully to, to anybody else, uh, you know, passionate about the Judaism and, you know, celebrating the Shabbat and listening and just in what a mitzvah is and um, teshuvah, ret return and repentance. Um, I'd love to transition a little bit as I've been reading The Power of Choice. And, you know, it's so cool reading all these different concepts um, for myself from what I'd maybe read um, from that people use in the scientific language to explain different things, what's going on in the brain, et cetera, uh, in the heart. Uh, I found really interesting your section on like practice. And um, one of the parts that stuck out, which I learned at a um, meditation retreat was this concept of equanimity. But when I read that little, uh, that, that section, um, it, it came up that the equanimity was more so according to uh, how you um, described it, um, not allowing kind of somebody else or some external thing to, um, to dictate how you are or for where it evokes a reaction. When I learned this concept of equanimity in a, um, at a meditation retreat, it's more that you become, as you also talked about, like the difference between an experiencer self and experienced self. But the, with the equanimity, you become more of the observer. So if I'm having uncomfortable sensations on my body or thoughts, I'm not reacting to the thought, but I'm observing it. Oh, that's unpleasant or that's pleasant. That's, uh, you know, it's a feeble uh, sensation or it's, it's quite intense on my, uh, on my body. But could you dive um, a little bit into yeah. different mindsets? Um, because they really um, complement one's own uh, journey with health and connection with them themselves. Right. So in Hebrew, the word for equanimity is ishtavut. It comes ishtavut. Um, it comes from the word shiviti Hashem. Shiviti Hashem in the is a verse in Psalms. that said, I've placed in front of me Hashem at all times. The word shiviti is the word shaveh, equal. And it's called the art, it's, the, the, it, it, it's called Ishtavut. So the reason why I described it that way, and I'll explain to you. So there's there's two descriptions in text about this experience, what the Ishtavut is. One goes back to one of the students of, of uh, early commentators, early Shoinim, Yitzhak Demin Akko, who was a student of the Ramban, Nachmanides. Um, and he lived in Israel, and he writes about this story. It's a story that he writes in one of his books. He writes a story where the student comes to his teacher, his master, 
and tells him he wants to be he wants to join the academy and his teacher tells him tells him you know he's what, what do you know and he he knows the material very well and then he says did you reach the art of shtavut this is shavad this is equanimity and he says he doesn't know what this means he says you know if i praise you will you feel very you know good about you he says, sure of course he says if i and if i mock you i feel very bad about yourself he says, sure he says okay go ahead yeah leave come back when you reach a point where everything is equal you'll come back a similar similar thing is quoted by the balshemta um in in, in, in sivasa rivash one of the early in one of his texts it's that he says that ishtavut is the idea in relationship he brings it within relationship to food that um you shouldn't think that this food is, tastes better or this food tastes worse. You shouldn't make distinctions of food. You know, this is sour, this is spicy. Whatever it is, whatever is in front of you, you, you eat. So if you have to be, you eat to, this, to, to survive. So it doesn't really matter how, how the taste of food. Um, in, I don't know if I write this in the book, but Ishtavut is not the ultimate level. It's not, it's not the ultimate level because there's a level of re-engagement where you're totally present within taste and taste has the, has, is very connected to mm-hmm. High spiritual levels, but it's it's a process. It's a process of uh, I would call it like a detachment process. When when we're first very um, attached to life, attached to the impressions of life, that what people think about us or what people say about us or the external stimuli that's that's occurring. Let's say you know it's a nice day, I feel good. If it's raining, I feel down. We're just like basically we're living our life that whatever is occurring from the outside is affecting my my equilibrium and that's choosing that's choosing for me how my life is going to be so hishtavut is a level where i say i actually don't care about any external stimuli whether whatever's coming in from the outside doesn't really change my inner equal equal equanimity state that's that's one level the trouble with the, the reason why equanimity is not the end goal is because sometimes that if you go to equanimity and you go a little deeper on a more subtle level where you're actually just becoming just the, the the observer or what in, in it's called das like the the, the das is the word witness. for witness right or, or aid so you become your witness self and you're like observing the things that are coming up let's say not only like external stimuli let's say food or music or impressions or the environment but even things within you like or, or a thought and you're just observing them and you're just allowing you're being part of the experience or observing that if you live in that state for a longer period of time you actually become very detached from life Interesting. Um, life stops stops having real value because if someone tells you even a compliment it actually means nothing but the truth is that in human discourse the way we actually interact with humans and we're social beings is the way a person not for you but for the other person Sometimes a person wants to tell you a nice thing, not to make you feel better, actually to make them feel drawn to you. So they'll tell you something that's nice, but really you're doing them a favor by accepting that compliment, not for yourself, but for them. And that's allowing that type of dialogue, that type of, of conversation. And I think also in general life, you know, we're supposed to be awake to life and being awake to life means that we're fully engaged. Being fully engaged means we are open to the impressions of life. So therefore it's, it's sort of like a state that you're you should be and when you feel it really entangled and and enmeshed in like the drama or the complications of life or let's say your thoughts are really troubling and 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 your feelings are really disturbing it could be a good state for you to get into for a period of time to enable yourself to like unhinge yourself of those experiences 
but not to live in that place. So really, so that's kind of, really kind of dancing between the both. So it's like knowing when. Correct. So it's, it seems very yeah. interesting. It seems like a, a, a thread that I've noticed and also a difference between like uh, Eastern mystical traditions correct. and Jewish tradition. Oh, that's so that's cool. exactly the correct, correct analogy. That in, in Judaism, I don't want to talk about the East necessarily, but I'm just saying the concept of, of a lot of the Eastern philosophies, yeah. because it's very a detached philosophy of life, therefore all the great scientists and all the great writers and all the great musicians came out of the West, not the East. All innovations in science happened in the, in the West, not in the East. And there's a reason for that, because in, in the West, whatever the religion of the West is, but just the Judaic, whatever you want to call it, the, 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 the system of the West was generally very progressive and very forward-thinking and very like engaged in this world. Now, because of that, there's a lot of trauma, a lot of hate, a lot of war, a lot of destruction. I got that. But it also caused a lot of positive production in the world. In a, a place that's very detached, you maybe live very peacefully inward, but you're actually not furthering creation. And Judaism has a system. The system of Yiddishkeit is basically what is called like a yes and I perspective simultaneously. It's both to be totally totally engaged in this world and, 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 and try to fix the world. And if we see anything going on in the world, like to be the best doctors and come up with the best medicine and, and, and to, to innovate in, in the most amazing way to make the world a better place and simultaneously live from in an inner life where you're, total, where you're completely detached from everything and everything's already perfect. Mm -hmm. And that, that balance between those two things is, is where we live in. And that's really the biggest challenge to live in that place. That seems to be hinted by why um... When we were leaving Egypt, we we walked through the water. Yeah. Cool. And and it's a very good analogy because at the end of the at the after the story of the splitting of the sea, they ask Hayesh Hashem im ayin. Is Hashem with us or not? But literally what they're asking is Hayesh, is God in the Yesh, is Hashem in the Yesh, which means in the existence of life, or im ayin, or in the nothingness of life. In the emptiness of life is God in the experiencer or the experiences is God in the fullness of life or the emptiness of life and the answer is in both and we live in that place and we have to we have to balance that paradox there's a book actually that I wrote many years ago it's called the, the garden of paradox which is all about this about this this living in that place to understand that that the way we look at the what the, the world like the, the, our our spiritual vision of the world and our relationship with Hashem with the creator and our relationship with our own consciousness is all about this balancing act between these two, bring wow. them in a health. It's so cool. And we look now, now we've, we've talked about a couple of your books now. I have actually 40 books now, so we're going to be wow. here for a while. Mazel tov, mazel tov. But yeah. uh, it's, it's cool to kind of uh, move on to another uh, part. Yeah. It's almost, it's, it, I like how our conversation has been flowing in that we address, you know, having the right intention with observing these things. We touched on equanimity. And now it's like another step is now that I understand the real kind of intention or me or anybody of, you know, a Shabbat or eating a kosher, which uh, I, I'll ask for, to talk a little bit about as well. You also have a many books on the different uh, Jewish months and what they have like a uniqueness to them but is that part of like a higher um beyond kind of just in a calendar month or what's 
you know, when we have unique months, like the month of Elul, where the king, I believe it's the right month, where the king is in the field, we say. And it's almost like if you talk to somebody in the month of Elul, they're going to be a little bit, I don't want to say down, but working on themselves. Is, would that be because now we're so used to, oh, it's the month of Elul, or is it something a little bit uh, deeper? Because of also what we oh, talked I, about I, at the beginning. I, yeah. No, I, 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 what I, what, what, what's true, there's a rhythm to the year, there's okay. a cycle. The year goes through rhythms of time. Every month of energy has a certain quality. This, this, this is on a cosmic level, on a spiritual level, and it also affects also even on a, on a, on a, a little on a physical level you know the winter is very different than the summer and you know when the winter everything is dormant and, and, the, and the trees are not blossoming and then it, and the days are getting shorter less sunlight and then it changes and the spring comes and the days get longer there's more sunlight this is actually a physiological manifestation of a spiritual truth wow. and therefore every you know now we're entering soon into the month of nisan mm-hmm. which is a month of you know the exodus from egypt the redemption and the month of Nisan is Moitzah Hashem B'Kasharis, that Hashem took us out in this month of Nisan. It's not just a coincidence, because Nisan is really about redemption. You know, the flowers are being redeemed from the earth. The, you know, the, the growth, the, the beers are waking up from the hibernation. Things are waking up, becoming alive. This is actually an exodus from Egypt. So there's a cosmic, universal aspect to this idea that the world is becoming awakened, the world is becoming redeemed on a small level, and therefore, we were re- literally redeemed from slavery during this month. So Nisan is a month of, of birth and of springtime and, a, and, of, and of aliveness and things becoming awake again. And that's all interrelated to this whole idea of how we celebrate Pesach and we celebrate Passover. Well, that's so given, given all, all of that, and as well as uh, what we mentioned earlier about not being a victim to um, our life or, you know, the weather or whatever is external, how do you ba- how can we balance, you know? Oh my gosh, it's the month of uh, Nisan or Elul, and you know, according to our traditions, or even according to knowledge, and um, even though you said the spiritual level, you know, I would could be feeling this way. But rather than saying, you know, somebody comes up, hey man, you've been acting kind of uh, down. Oh, it's the month of Elul. I'm supposed to be that way. No, so you only you only utilize these things for the positive. Only, only for the positive. We have, we have the capacity, we have the choice at every moment. That's why I said it's not about just being in the I am. Being in the I am means I'm totally disconnected to what's happening in the outside external world. I'm just living in my own inner world. And if I'm in a good place, I'm always in a good place. And that's true. That's a true thing that we should live that way as well. But being engaged in the world means I'm also choosing to open up that valve and see what is actually going on in the world. How could that affect me for the positive? But if you walk around in Elul and you feel like melancholy and you feel down because, oh, I'm in an Elul mood, then you're missing the whole point. Mm. The only reason why you would open yourself up to feel that is to feel empowered to make changes in your life, to do something constructive, to like, you know, make, make you know, positive resolutions. If you're doing that, then you're tapping into the quality of Elul in a healthy way. But if you're just saying, oh, it's an Elul time and therefore, you know, I'm being depressed, then better be an eye in and don't be affected by the, by the weather. Don't be affected by the environment that's happening. Amazing. It's always, always, always for growth. Spirituality, you know, ruchni is spirituality, godliness is always yes. Hashem always says yes. This we have to understand. Hashem always says yes. No and, and not possible is klipa, is a negative, is a negative voice, is a negative force. 
there's a there's a story in the Talmud and the Gemara that brings down there was Elisha um, ben Avui, one of those characters that became an apostate, whatever, a heretic. And his student Rameir asked him once that you know he should do tshuva, like you should change your ways. Teacher, he was his teacher, he's called Rabbi. Change his ways. He says he can't do it because he heard Machoria Pargur. He had like a spiritual uh, trans transmission, and he heard from the other side that uh, that a voice says shuva that all my children can return to me, all my wayward children can return to me, and then the voice said chutzma acher besides acher, like everyone could do this besides you. And he yeah. said, I heard I can't do it. It's impossible. So I, I can't fight heaven. And the Balshemtov says that this is a this is a bat called this is a heavenly voice of Klipa. It's a negative voice. It's impossible to hear a voice in heaven says that you can't do, you can't change. Mm-hmm. If there's ever a voice that says you can't, I can't be this, I can't do this, I can't overcome my anger, I can't can't make, make myself a better person, I can't be a better Jew. Whatever the voice says, it says no, you should know, even if it comes from you in a deep, deep level of meditation, Klipa, it's negative. It's um it's really cool. It's you, you've helped see you you helped me see that you know all these different things from Shabbat or the months to eating kosher should be done should be approached with the right with the with positive intention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, the Ayun Center and uh, what's all that you've been doing there. And uh, God willing, I'll be able to make it some time but uh just to kind of come to a conclusion where can people check you out if they're in new york go to your center do are you doing any more uh, online courses or um teachings yeah so like i said like i said at the beginning i don't like talking about myself yeah so i'll, I'll do say, it for you yeah basically if you want we have a center here in brooklyn and uh now everything's a little bit you know for corona it's like a little bit difficult uh-huh. but we have a lot of things online and you could just, um, you could probably just Google my name if you want to, and you probably you'll find it exactly where to go and what to do. Great. So, what what is know. what is the Iyun um, stand for? It's actually not. It's not. A, it's a Hebrew word. It means Iyun means actually means to delve deeper. To delve deeper. So we have actually a Shiva and a Kailo that we so that we, we called it that name because when you learn in depth, it's called learning Iyun, learning yeah. in depth. Well, I think we've done that to a good degree. Here yeah, today. Good. Okay, excellent. Thank, awesome. you, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me and answer some of my own pressing questions and God willing, uh, those who listen. Uh, we didn't even touch on uh, your fascinating work on music and uh, how that time. affects. Huh? Another time. Another time. God willing. God willing, for sure. Okay. All right, Rabbi. My pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of your week and Shabbat, upcoming Shabbat. Exactly. Have a nice Shabbat. Shabbat. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. 
That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.